Welcome to Kenmar Church. Paul writes in today's opening verse, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. In this particular passage, Paul calls suffering for Christ's sake something granted by God to be faced with courage. The apostle even heightens the mystery of the verse by linking his own suffering for Jesus' sake to the Philippians' mistreatment. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. It may seem like an egotistical assertion on Paul's part, but it's a reminder that when Christians suffer for Jesus' sake, we don't just endure a sample of what Jesus endured. We also share in the misery that our sisters and brothers in Christ may be experiencing. Perhaps then, God's Spirit can use our own suffering to deepen our empathy and sympathy for what other Christians must endure. Again, thank you for joining us. Beginning at verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Shall we pray? O Lord, grant that what we read with our eyes, understand with our minds, and receive into our memories, we may go out to show forth in our lives. May what we have learned by your grace be used to your glory. Amen. John Wooden was the hugely successful coach of the men's basketball team at UCLA. He was also a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. John Wooden once wrote, the true test of a man's character is what he does when no one is watching. I think the Apostle Paul would agree with that. In verse 27, he tells the Christians at Philippi, whatever happens, conduct yourselves 
in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And the message version lyrically paraphrases Paul's plea, live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Christ. Of course, Paul isn't really talking about living our lives in ways that are consistent with the gospel when no one is looking. But he might be suggesting to the Philippians that this is how they should live when he's not looking because he was writing this letter at a distance, at a physical distance from them. He was under house arrest. He writes, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Paul planted the church in Philippi. They were people he knew and loved. The Holy Spirit likely used him to encourage people to receive God's grace by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul may have even spent time with the Philippians earlier. Now, however, as Paul writes to them, he's apparently under Roman house arrest. So it goes without saying that Paul is in great danger. I eagerly expect and hope, he writes in verse 20, that I will be in no way ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And then he adds, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Nonetheless, whether he remains under house arrest or he does, return to the church at Philippi, he says that they are to live their lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whether the Christian people at Philippi have to endure suffering for the cause of Christ or whether they live relatively safe and undisturbed lives, they still must live consistent with the grace of God shown to them. Quite simply, whatever happens, Paul says. God saves his dearly beloved people by grace alone. We can only receive that grace by putting our trust completely in Jesus Christ. Such faith, however, is never a mere intellectual exercise. It always includes a personal response that is appropriate to the immensity of God's grace in Jesus and the good news. The sort of lifestyle, however, that we are called to lead by Paul and by Jesus himself is one that has what I might call political implications. When in fact, Paul talks about a Christian's worthy conduct He's trading his usual vocabulary of talking about discipleship for a word that is translated more accurately, citizenship. Philippi was a place that one commentator called proud of itself as a little Rome. Yet the, the apostle summons his readers to behave in ways that show their primary loyalty is not to an earthly empire, but is to a kingdom that is unseen 
a kingdom where God reigns. Paul describes some of the form of this loyalty in verse 27 when he calls the Christians in Philippi to stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Stand as one person, he says. Paul insists that those of us who follow Jesus persevere in our own faith, but besides that, we should also work alongside of other Christians and be concerned for their, ben their benefit and their welfare. Connections in the Christian faith, therefore, are important. God's children need to keep an eye on the health of not just their own faith, but the faith of their friends and their sisters and brothers. Christians sometimes assume that we must pack our own parachute, as the saying goes, that we are alone responsible for our spiritual well-being. However, the apostle reminds us that if we are to persevere in the Christian faith, we must do it together. That is, any courage we possess ought to be a, cur a courage that is shared in the community of faith. He's suggesting at a minimum that Jesus' friends must cultivate an openness to the insights of others about the steadfast of our faith, and we, too, must be mentors and friends and teachers to them. When we consider the portrayals of churches uh, in relationship to contemporary politics, biblical scholar Susan Eastman writes, unity is not the way I would describe the current day. In, in fact, mutual recrimination, angry, destructive actions, hate-mongering rather than joy, and are more the order of the day. This is hardly a winsome witness for Jesus Christ. Amen, Susan. Paul adds to his discussion, there's a lack of fear that all followers of Jesus should possess. It's appropriate to the courage that Paul is trying to pass along. So he calls the Christians in Philippi to strive for the faith without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. They were not only facing opposition for their faith, they were facing violent opposition. They could be hauled away from their homes. They could be thrown in prison. They could lose their livelihood. Their family could be separated. So you see, it wasn't just an imagined fear. It was a real cause that was behind the don't fear that Paul uses, that Paul passes on. He invites his readers in Philippi to not give in to fear. He says of their opponents, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved. Opposition from their persecutors and no fear on the part of the believers is then a reason for gratitude because it confirms God's saving love for his people in Philippi and throughout the world. God doesn't just grant us a belief to hold on to. The Lord also shows us his favor and kindness by allowing us to, this is the word Paul uses, suffer. I don't know about you, but this is one of Paul's most difficult and maybe most shocking assertions. So let's get it straight. 
Usually, we think of suffering for our faith as something to be tolerated, if not avoided entirely. We American Christians, in particular, have a hard time imagining what role God plays in our personal suffering because it seems so contrary to God's intentions. Well, one of the greatest threats to our courage in the culture in which you and I live is the fear that we will be labeled with derisive names or by association. In America today, in the church and outside the church, there is a fear that we will be classified with certain fringe groups, that we will be called racist or sexist or transphobic or fundamentalist or extremist or fanatic or phobophobic. I made up that last one, by the way. <laughs> I'll admit that I would like to avoid being called any of those names, as I'm sure you would like to avoid that. But there's also a danger. It seems sort of sad when our greatest fear is not whether we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, but we conduct ourselves in such a way as to avoid being accused, labeled, or slandered with words that are spring-loaded to destroy us. The crucial question is not, might somebody call us bad names? But do we speak the truth in love to everyone? It's possible that we may dream of suffering for Jesus' sake, but how would we feel if authorities and crowds and media distort our cause and tell the whole world not that we're a courageous person suffering for heaven's sake, but a deluded extremist following Jesus, who's just another crackpot cult leader. Let me state it as plainly as I can. In this passage, Paul calls suffering for Christ's sake something granted to us from God. That sounds like it's something we can't avoid. But we should all have the hope and expectation that Paul had that we can face every suffering of every sort in every place at all times with courage. Courage. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him but also to suffer for him. It may sound egotistical of Paul, but he connects his own suffering to the Philippians' mistreatment. I think he's trying to remind them that when Christians suffer, they never suffer alone. They always suffer with the body of Christ, fellow believers, sisters and brothers. Perhaps only then can God's Spirit use our own suffering to deepen our empathy and sympathy for what others must endure. Oh, and one more thing. Ironically, Philippians is Paul's happiest letter. Trust me, it is. He uses the word joy or rejoicing over a dozen times in this letter. And as we read more of Philippians, we will find his joy infectious. Paul has promised us courage for today and for whatever tomorrow may hold. By faith, we share in the suffering of others. May we also share in their joy. And may we rejoice in the Lord always. Amen.
Thank you for joining us. A video recording of this service can be found on YouTube or Facebook by searching for Kenmar Church. Thank you.